You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Crispin Sartwell, how are you? It's good to see you again. Pretty good, Daniel Kaufman. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I want to uh, welcome everyone in the uh, Meaning of Life TV, Blogging Against TV, Sophia audience. I'm here with what now is seems to very happily becoming a regular interlocutor on Sophia. That's Crispin Sartwell of Dickinson College. How are you, Crispin? I'm doing well. Yeah? How's your semester going? Oh, pretty good, I guess. Uh, kind of a full one. But, full, uh, in, full in what sense? Uh, well, three classes, lots of students, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe I so, shouldn't be whining. No, I'm not, you're not whining. I'm just curious, what is a lot of students in your universe? I've, I've had, I've gone way high. It's about 70 this semester, which is, doesn't sound insane, but. Try two, try 200. Yeah, I know, I have. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. You better have grading help with that, right? I don't know, though. No. Well, you don't have any graduate students, so who's going to help me with grading? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have to grade everything myself. I'm in the middle of grading a single section of 90 right now. Um, and, uh. All right, I'm going to stop. Stop no, 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 no. I, I, no, I, I, listen, I'm not complaining either. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, I still, as it is, teach two days a week. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, come on. Okay. So, um, but, uh, no, I was just wondering what the numbers are at a small liberal arts college like Dickinson. Um, is a typical class, what, what, 25 people, 20 people? Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends on levels. Like, I've got 30 some in my intro class. My class is probably really on, you know, upper level is more like 10, 12 often. So. Oh, that's, so that's like a seminar. That's wonderful. Yeah. What it, upper division, what upper division are you teaching right now? Oh, I guess I'm not this semester, am I? I'm teaching, uh, aesthetics at the 200 level and intro. Oh, you have an aesthetics that's a low level class? Well, it's a 200 level, yeah. And I teach class on beauty at 300 maybe or whatever. I'm teaching a course in philosophy of psychology that's at the 300 level. And then the rest, you know, we all teach always gen ed, two, two sections of gen ed. And I've gotten my department head nicely to take my two sections and make them just one large section so that I only uh-huh. have to teach two classes. Um, which it just saves me cla- in class time. Yeah. And, um, um, so, um, well, today what we're here to discuss is an essay you wrote, um, on politics and geography. Now I, it's funny, you and I just spoke a minute ago. We're not sure actually where the article uh, originally appeared, including you're not sure. I found it on your blog, so um, which we're going to link to in the links because I think uh, more people in the audience should follow your blog, which is really good. And um, I found the piece there. Now, I know you write for Splice today, so I said, oh, maybe it appeared there. And I went and looked, and I couldn't find it. Right, me neither. Um, <laughs> I went to look too. <laughs> so, uh, for people to read it, it's going to have to go to, to your to your to your blog to check it out. It's probably um, the kind of thing I sent to the Wall Street Journal, and then I sent it to the Washington Post, and then I sent it to the Guardian. I didn't hear from any of them. Uh, and then I thought to myself, send it to Splice today, and then I never did. So oh. then I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so the, but you but you did put it on your blog, and so there yeah. must have been you. What did you find? You refound it or something? When you were I'm like, not sure how, how this all happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I gave um, up on it maybe as a submission. So the essay is really interesting and um, addresses something that 
lately periodically has become sort of a, a hot issue, and that has to do with the Electoral College, but more broadly the question of political representation. Um, and so let me just sort of segue into this by just talking about the Electoral College example, but then you also mentioned the Senate in your piece, and I want to just talk about the, the deeper sort of political philosophical issues underneath. Um, so we've now had several elections um, and, and recently um, in which the presidential elections, in which the winner of the presidential election win, won the Electoral College but lost the popular vote, most recently Donald Trump. Every time this happens, there's much gnashing of the teeth. There's much uh, uh, yelling and screaming about how outdated and archaic and stupid the Electoral College is and how it should be one man, one vote, etc., um, and, um, and, uh, and so, so your essay sort of begins talking about that, but maybe you could sort of, um, lead us into your mindset on this, uh, uh, with respect to the article and just what you've been thinking about it in general. Sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, when you get right down to it, I, I don't know really what I think about the electoral college. I'm probably, you know, it, I'm more or less in favor of democracy, I suppose. And I think it, you know, uh, in terms of forms of government, that's the one I would choose if I was choosing. And it's hard to make an argument against a one person, one vote model. If you, you know, if you are endorsing the democratic idea at all. Um, although, you know, you, you might have a more Republican frame of mind in which you have various kinds of, uh, uh, baffles between the, the popular will and the, uh, uh, you know, the actual outcome of elections and laws and so on. Uh, so, the, okay, but the, the way I framed it there, I guess the, the arguments against the Electoral College lately take the form of just straight up asserting that rural America is politically overrepresented. And of course that has a, uh, you know, that has a direct democratic, republican, partisan, uh, effect. And, you know, it's, it's people who side lost that election who are unhappy about it, which is, I guess, what you'd expect, but it makes you think like, okay, how principled is this objection really? Right. So one question is, well, if the Electoral College had quote-unquote saved us from Donald Trump, as you asked yes. me, would the people gnashing their teeth now be saying how wonderful a thing it is that we don't, you know, simply decide these things based on numerical majorities but have a more uh, a more subtle instrument, so to speak? Yes, I, I think they would. I mean, I think, I mean, there's some people who are very principled, you know, one-person, one-vote people, and I think yeah. they, they take that either way and take – the separation between the popular and electoral result as an argument. Uh, but yeah, I think basically the idea is this is to our disadvantage. And so we're going to make a principled argument uh, against it, you know, right. um, rather than make a straight out partisan argument. Right. And be sort right. of frank about what your motivations are. Um, but the straight up principle argument is pretty convincing in a way. But I mean, I guess one thing I was thinking of, I mean, I live, I kind of split time uh, between very rural Trump country, that's really where I live, and, uh, you know, my partner's place in Philly, which is in the middle of the most regentrifying neighborhood in history, 
uh, and it's all hipsters and coffee shops and beer halls. Um, and makes you, you know, makes you pine makes you pine for slums, right? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> well, not really. I not remember really. when they cleaned up Times Square. Yeah, and because I can remember when you'd wa- when walking from Forty Second Street on Times Square down to the Port Authority, mm-hmm. like a harrowing experience past yes. like porno theaters and sex shops and like wandering crack smokers and hookers and stuff. But then they cleaned it all up, so now it's sort of yeah. like Disneyland. And I thought to myself when I first saw it, I said, "Where the hell are the sailors going to go now right. when they come off on leave? You know, when they come off on leave, they'll find their spot. They'll find their spot." Yeah, I mean, and the nostalgia for for Times Square as it existed in '87 is really a little bit overrated, man. Yeah, you're probably right, but you I. Know. Uh, <laughs> unless you were a crackhead, I guess, or whatever. Right. It's, where am I supposed <laughs> to go now? <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm just more impressed every every time I make this journey, I guess, about how different the people are in these two spots and yeah. how completely yeah. separate they are in their interpretations of the world these days, and how they have completely different political orientations. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I do. I've I've lived rural for a long time, and People feel like what their world is not represented in the world. Do you know what I mean? Like not in the media, not in uh, politics, that they don't count. Yeah. Right. And I think that if you talk for a while with maybe somebody down in Northern Libyans in Philly, you might sort of confirm that impression. Like they don't count or they're, or, they're just simply evil, almost in virtue of their ruralness. You know, they're backwards, they're uh, ignorant, racist, etc. And I'm not denying there are some problems along these lines. Yeah, um, yeah. And then when Trump won, and I think, you know, my congressional district, I think, was 74% Trump or something along in there. Um, people, I mean, it was almost like this ecstasy. Like, yeah. Finally, you know, like it's us, okay? We're back. Like we, you know, and there is, of course, a feeling in rural America, like we are America, okay? This is like the origin. This is the character of America. This is where people still have like traditional values in a lot of ways and things like this. And the world is, you know, disintegrating or whatever uh, into something completely different than that. Yeah. And, yeah, and no, I think it's worth, look, I think it's worth, though, I mean, look, this is so tricky. I also, like you, have been in both worlds. I mean, I grew up in Long Island, New York, which is about, you know, as as much in Nassau County, which is as juiced in to the power elite as you can get. And then now I've spent the last 20 years of my life in southwestern Missouri. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, I, I've noted also exactly the same sort of uh, frisson as you just described when Trump won. It was almost a kind of inchoate, um, you know, just to, sort of, you know, thank God we, you know, finally, you know. Um, We're back. We're back. It's, it's, I mean, it's worth also saying that this this – this is this is true and and I think significant and important to consider, even if the claims are kind of bogus, right? So I mean, what you just said about you know we still have you know, the traditional values and all that. Well, if you look statistically, 
these are the areas of the country where the divorce rates are the highest, the drug and alcohol abuse are through the roof, the wife beating and child child abuse are 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 ramp. And so, you know, if you look at the sort of the data, it doesn't really right. bear out that they're very uh, living very traditional values. But I actually don't think that that really matters with respect to what we're talking about. Because we're talking about yeah. political representation. Um, you get political representation even if you're a fucking hypocrite, right? Um, uh, and really, and really, and really, what we're talking about. If there was a no hypocrite uh, a, a clause. There'd be like four people voting, right? Uh, so, so, I mean, so I don't think it matters that that we could because a lot of people in the comments are just going to pick apart those those arguments. Right, I'm not saying that. I'm not making that argument. You know, right. I'm, saying, I'm trying to report the attitude. Yes, I agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's people who had felt underrepresented for a very long time, actually. It, you know, like I say, in every sort of cultural dimension. Um, and so it was hard. It, I guess it's been a little hard. For, and I, and I, under, I feel that in some way too. And so it was a little hard to read these articles that are just insisting that rural America is overrepresented. I'm like, okay, wait a second. Like, do we have any power, really? I mean, like, or, or you know, maybe we do, but. Yeah, well, it's, and it's worth pointing out. I mean, there is a very demonstrable, clear sense in which uh, they're right on the substance. And that is, if you look at the sort of the deindustrialization of the country, if you look at, you know, the states in which Trump won, uh, a lot of these are Rust Belt states. Um you know, it's not an accident that, you know, uh, this occurs after the Democrats have pretty much abandoned labor yes. and, and embraced the sort of corporate global globalist kind of, you know, what everybody now is sort of calling neoliberal, which I think is kind of a lazy word, but um, yeah, yeah. sort of attitude. So which you now have sort of two corporatist parties, right? You have the Republicans and the Democrats. Absolutely. All of them agreed to basically sell everybody's jobs off, right? And and now if you look at these areas of the country, they're sort of ravaged by social disintegration, drug abuse, and all these sorts of things that are what happen when you, in a sense, uh, 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 strip the economy out of an entire region. So I do think that they do have a claim a legitimate yeah. claim to not being represented, right? I mean... <laughs> right, or no, this feeling of abandonment, or this feeling, as they look at the political leadership, for example, that that's just not us. Yeah. You know, and, they, and they don't even know us, and they despise us. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they're sneering at us. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm... And, and maybe that was particularly vivid during the Obama years and also had a racial element. But it's also, or the gender element too, maybe even with Hillary. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like this cultural divide and, you know, and I, I think that maybe the effect of what Democrats were arguing against the Electoral College were like, like arguing that rural America is overrepresented. I mean, the effect is already of abandonment. The feeling is of abandonment. Right. So now you're saying, Rural America or small town America, or whatever, is too powerful in overall in the, right. you know, in the American political system and stuff like this. And I just, I mean, you can see some signs of that, you know, when you're dealing with like small state senators and stuff, maybe. But that doesn't seem to be the overall direction or problem of the country, as I would read it. Although it did lead to the election of Donald Trump. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, and that is a problem. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm anybody who knows me and has heard me talk knows that I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. Um, um, the um, 
Yeah, no, look, I mean, what, what you're essentially saying is, look, it's a little bit much to tell people who both political parties have kind of sort of sold down the river, right? Um, and sold their whole regions down the river. Yeah. Um, um, to then say, well, what few little remaining things there are left structurally in the system to ensure that you, that you matter to some degree. We're going to get rid of those too, right? Yeah. Um, and basically the entire country, you know, the, the entire country is going to elect its leaders from, you know, three or four large metro areas. Exactly. Um, um, you know, and that's what I always keep coming back down to is that, you know, it's all very, you know, the, the one man, one vote sounds terrific. And the abstract. But if you ask me, do I really think that every president should be elected from L.A. County, New York Metro, and the right. Boston, D.C. Carter? I'd say, well, that sounds fucking crazy. Yeah. In a country of this size. Yes. With this diverse geographical areas. And this is sort of what I want to get into on your piece. And that is one of the things you say in the piece is that um, the system that we have was actually designed to represent both regions and peep individual people and that the two are not accidentally related. You also give examples of other governing bodies in which this principle has been embodied, obviously in our own Senate. That's one place, but you even talk about international bodies. I mean, you know, uh, some tiny uh, speck of a country in Africa gets the same vote in the, in the, in the, in the general assembly in the UN as you right. know, the United States. Or China, or China. Now, of course, there's the Security Council, which, you know, you could argue sort of, but, but the point remains, and that is that there's a lot of examples where we have thought that we don't just go with one man, one vote. Right. And that we, because we see representation as more than simply the representation of individual voters. Could you maybe speak to some of, to those issues and, and, in light of the piece or not in light of the piece, however you want to <laughs> talk about them? Yeah, I mean, well, well, part of this, of course, I mean, in the constitutional case and in the UN case, I imagine as well, is just like you're not only trying to coordinate individuals into some sort of social contract, you're trying to coordinate existing political organizations into some kind of unity. All right. So you have to give them enough motivation to join. And if you tell a, a tiny African nation, that, you know, they have one seventeenth of the vote that, you know, uh, France has or something right. like that. They're not going to join, man. <laughs> yeah. They're just going to go, all right, we're not coming, all right? You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's, I mean, it's similar in the EU, for example, where some of the representation is by population, and and but each country gets a vote on, I forget what they even call the, the council or whatever. Um and, you know, that is the origin of the United States as well. Obviously, this coordination of independent states or... Can you talk about that a little bit just historically? So the U.S. originally was a set of discrete individual political units that had only a very a very relatively loose affiliation. Could you talk about a little bit about that and then how that then led to the federal constitution incorporating kind of elements that go beyond simple representation of individual citizens? Yeah, well, I mean, really, you know, at the Constitutional Convention, what they had to do was uh, get the delegation of each state to sign off, right? And then then that delegation would take the Constitution back to their state for for a ratification process, you know, some kind of vote or state legislature uh, move. 
And so you had to, the thing is, you had to persuade each delegation from each state that it would be in that state's interest, not just in the interest of each individual or, you know, of, of the individuals of that state, but of the existing state organization to enter into this alliance nation. Um, and so to do that, they, they made you know, some form, well, uh, the Senate house compromise was, uh, like is the, is the classical location of this, uh, where you have equal representation. There's something very similar in the EU. I think actually, you have, uh, you know, equal representation in the Senate of the smallest state with the largest state. And then you have a proportional population, proportional, uh, representation in the, in the house of representatives. Uh, the Electoral College, which is really a bit of a mystery in some ways, I guess, like how it all ended up in there in that form, um, you know, is, uh, is the product of the same kind of compromise, though. Uh, and, you know, so it, it takes, I, I guess, you're, you're assigned electors by how, by your two senators plus your congressional delegation, your electors equal, the state's electors equal that. Right. So now there's like a straight way to just kind of fold the compromise into the process for choosing a president. Right. Now, of course, one thing that's going on here is that you have slave and non-slave states fighting this out. And that's, you know, so states' rights and or state sovereignty in this way uh, is also maybe a way to resist the encroachments of the more populous north on the slave economy or something like that. Yeah, I've read, I've read arguments that the electoral college is a good, good part due to, to, to uh, having to integrate the slave states into, uh, I've you know, heard, yes, heard that but, um, I think that it's way too quick to just go. It's a racist institution. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and people wouldn't necessarily say exactly that about the Senate though, or they might, I guess, but, um, and another thing I want to say is, like, that wasn't the only issue. Yeah. Okay? And even if slavery hadn't been an issue at all, you still have this uh, dilemma of trying to attract the less populous states into this alliance by promising them some kind of equality. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that, that slavery was not the governing problem that led to the Electoral College. Right. I mean, it's back there in the whole negotiation uh, around states' rights. Right. But, yeah. So, because really what they want to do, I think, is just say, like, it's kind of a, it's a racist institution, and now it gives too much power to white rural voters. Right. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's been a racist thing throughout or something, which right. I think is really a, a mind-numbing sim- simplification of it. Well, it's, 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 it's the, it's the current way of just sort of, you know, winning an argument without actually right. having to have it. You know what I mean? You yeah. Just, just call things racist or phobic of one way or the other. And then you can pretty much just stop. You don't have to stop. You don't have to keep engaging with the argument. Um, yeah. but let me just ask you, I mean, this, this may be a naive or stupid question. Um, but you know, we're talking about this idea that, you know, if you want the smaller states to join a confederation, you're going to have to give them something and not tell them, well, you're going to be, you're going to be permanently sort of, you know, uh, uh, ineffectual because you don't have enough, you know, you don't have as many people as New York, California, but let me ask you, you know, just sort of, um, why does, why do you care whether the tiny places come, come into the federation? I mean, in other words, why not to say, okay, fine, you're not important. We're just going to have a country that exists of, uh, you know, New York, 
New York Metro, Boston Metro, you know, and the rest of you can go and eat dirt, right? I mean, why, why, why care about bringing in? Is it well, because of the geographic cohesion that you wanted to have a sort of yeah. a, a continental, a, 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 a coherent geographical identity for the for the for the political unit? Is that the reason? Well, I think that's part of the reason. Uh, I mean, like in the EU case and in the U.S. case, I think. They're also thinking about, you know, economic integration. Yeah, why have Liechtenstein in the EU? You're too yeah. small. You don't matter. You just you go right. by yourself, right? Why? What's the point of... <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I'd be in favor of that, really. I mean, I think we're kind of going to disintegrate anyway, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you know. um, well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I should look back at some of the constitutional debates uh, and see, like, why they absolutely thought they needed Delaware or, you know... Or Rhode Island, or whatever. They just weren't going to go on without it, right? Um, right. I mean, I think that there's something. To ge- I think that there's something to geographic cohesion. I mean, that's why yeah. I kind of was sort of pushing that way because, yeah, I think it does lead to some of the things you were saying in the essay about that representation in a political system isn't just of individuals, but is of the regions that they that they live in, and 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 in culture, right? I mean, um, um, you know, yeah. Part of the problem with only with every president being chosen by LA County and New York Metro is that those areas and the people in them um, have a very distinctive sort of culture, and the people who live, you know, in the in the in the belt in the middle, uh, Missouri, Oklahoma, Kansas, all these places, have a very very different culture. And what it basically means is that that whole that whole part of the national character is simply not going to be reflected politically right right um um yeah just, could you talk a little bit about it in yeah. your essay how you thought of this idea of representing geography and not yeah. just individuals i mean i guess that was the idea that made me start writing this essay but i still i'm still wrestling with it in my head like trying to figure this out but i mean one thing just to say is like to start with is political representation is a very difficult interesting topic okay and i have worked on this some and I mean, I'm actually trying to work it even like in relation to aesthetic, uh, you know, philosophy of art um, treatments of representation or Victoria. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, like, all right. But and we can go into about a million issues there if we want to. But one time I just started thinking was like with the Senate or the Electoral College, you get something that looks more. That, 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 that represents the geography, the, the regions, uh, you know, represents the shape of the physical country as, to some extent, as well as resembling the population to some extent. So, I mean, one thing I guess I said was that, um, you know, even though Wyoming's Senate delegation and Florida's are totally out of proportion to their population because you know, Wyoming has half a million people and Florida has 20 million people and they have the same number of senators. They're about the same physical size. I mean, I didn't look it up, actually, the square mileage. Or, like, in, in other words, like, their representation in the Senate more closely resembles their physical distribution in the country than it does the population. Some cases work better than others that way. But... When you're not just representing by population, but by uh, geographical area as the, in the Senate, you almost get something that the shape of the representative body 
resembles to some extent or represents. And so I started thinking, could we think of political representation more widely than as a representation of people or the citizenry, but also in part like a representation of the mountains and the plains and the forests and the, you know, yeah, but not simply, but not simply, you know, and this, I, I agree, this is sort of tricky to tease out. And, and, and t- please tell me if this is not what you were after, but with the sense I was getting, it's not so much that it's the representation should resemble these areas simply by virtue of their landscape, but more that the landscape is not accidentally related yes. to the very distinctive culture that the people living in those areas express. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to say about this was that, you know, when you talk about rural versus major metro areas, you're really talking about the difference between uh, agricultural economy and, 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 and by definition, an area that's dominated by agricultural economy is going to have a lower population density simply Absolutely. because of the physical requirements of growing yes. food for 300 million people. And so, there seems to me to be something terribly wrong if that whole aspect of the America of the, of the national culture is not have, does not have right. reflection in the political uh, leadership. Right. In other words, you know what I mean? Yeah. It can't be that the people, all the representatives are representing urban economy. Yes. Um, when you have these huge regions in the area that because right. of their nature are lower population density. Right. But which are a crucial, essential part of the country, right? Right. Or, and you only, God. Yeah. And you, you'll only have uh, urban subcultures represented. So, like, this is one thing I wanted to do. And as you're saying, like, you know, these different regions have historically generated these different subcultures. I mean, I don't want to – I mean, that's not relevant to political representation, on a one person, one vote model, right? In other words, like we come from New Orleans, which has this, you know, super funky, you know, multiracial history, multicultural history. And like that can only happen right there at the mouth of the Mississippi or whatever. Um, and, you know, and, and so like, American subcultures, very different from one another, are scattered across the geography in a way that's non-accidental or that's historically uh, informed. And yeah, so so this is one thing. It's like it's not a matter of like representing geography or representing the people, because these two things are, you know, mutually generative, right? Like like the people are altering the geography and the geography is altering the people and people are coming for the geography or leaving because of the geography. And so like, yeah. And so even if you're simply trying to represent the people, that could be a very complex matter that ends up also kind of, so, I mean, so if you thought of political representation I don't know quite how far to go with this either, but like in terms of pictorial representation, are you looking for a, like a legislative body that resembles the people? I mean, people thought about it this way, like federalists versus anti-federalists thought, okay, so, so will the representation be a mimetic representation, an imitative representation? Like Plato thinks 
a painting is, mm. you know, like a, a mirror of the people. Is that the idea of like the House of Representatives? It's a mirror of the people in some way, or is it an idealizing representation? Does it, um, you know, it's not an attempt to imitate or, you know, make something that resembles the people as a whole, but is an idealized picture, like sort of like an idealized nude or maybe like, uh, yeah, like uh, Michelangelo's David is an idealized human figure or something like that. And so I started thinking like these models of representation, I don't know, I, I would like to really try to theorize some of this, I guess, but I, I need to really think about it. I, have, I guess I have done some work like in political aesthetics on this. Um, that's really, inter- that's really interesting, the, I, the idea of um, thinking about the different ways that one can pictorially represent and to what extent the different ways of doing it are realistic in different senses, yes. right? Um, um, look, yes. there's a way in which impressionist paintings are more realistic than academic, uh, 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 traditionally realist ones. Um, because nothing actually looks like that, right? Right. Um, but there's a sense in which the academic paintings are more realistic, right? Because they give you like this hyper detail, like, you know. That's right, that's right. And, yeah. and so there's no absolute sense in what it is to be realistic in a representation. Right. And, um, and, you know, obviously, you know, the most famous example, you know, person who sort of problematized this, of course, was Wittgenstein. Um, and that is whether anything actually is intrinsically a representation or whether all representations have to be interpreted in a certain way, right? The famous example of, is this a picture of a man walking up a hill or a man falling down it, right? Um, um, but, you know, there's another dimension of this, that, and, and if you don't think that this is relevant, you know, you could just ignore it. But it also seems to me that what you're getting at is a little bit similar to arguments you have in the philosophy of mind and the philosophy of science about levels of description, and whether you're and whether you're really getting at what you're trying to get at at the lower level so, so in a sense the the one man one mode is very atomistic right yes but then there's a question whether the picture that results from that atomistic level of description is actually a good picture of the thing you're talking about True. there's a famous well, example that 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 Hillary Putnam gives in a paper i want to say it's called um philosophy in our mental life okay where he talks about um if you were to sort of describe a situation of putting a round, a round peg through a square hole and why it doesn't fit, he says you could give a sort of micro, you could give a microstructural analysis, <laughs> but in a sense, what would happen is you'd lose the forest for the trees. You wouldn't actually get a good explanation. Right. Whereas if you just gave an ordinary language description, a surface description, you'd get a much better explanation. Yes. You know, the atomistic uh, representation is in some way more realistic. It's right. not more realistic in the relevant sense. And that's what, and I'm wondering whether there's something going on here with political representation that's similar. And that is this one man, one vote. Actually, the picture you get of the country is not a very good picture when you do that. Right. Yeah. Um, that's true. That's interesting. So that's and I think what I it challenges doing. my own individualism in a certain way as well. Right. Like I, I suddenly start thinking about, uh, about this in terms of collectivities. I mean, it, I think it'd be worth thinking at the most general level. Like, if you wanted to have an accurate representation of America, what would it have to be? Or what, what, what would, like, say if, I mean, so it could be a picture, or it could be a video, or it could be a body of people, right? Like, it could be the Congress of the United States. What do you think would make that an accurate representation, right. which is how we're thinking about it, I guess, um, 
of the country as a whole. And yeah, I guess I don't think that just one person, one vote will yield that, right? Like you need some kind of sense of the richness of the place and the richness of the cultures generated in the places, the differences among the places, the differences among, uh, you know, different groups of people in, you know, um, but like the general question, I mean, I guess I'm just fascinated and I would like to work more on this general question of what do we want in a political representation of a, of a nation or of a people? Or- In other words, what are the values we're seeking to, uh, to vindicate when we, when we design a system? We call it a democracy. And, 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 you know, right. this is, this is the, you know, you said at the beginning you're for democracy and I think every, everybody thinks they are. But what that exactly means is right. not is not is not entirely obvious. And you know, one one thing thing that it might mean is one man, one vote, and that's it. One person, one vote, and that's it. But I think for the reason that we've been discussing, it's not entirely clear. That would be like saying, you know, if you want a picture of a tree, the way right. to go is um, one one atom at a time, right? Uh, yeah. and, and 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 I think most people would say, well, you're not going to get a very good picture of a tree um, um, if you do that, right? You're going right. to lose a lot of the characteristics of trees that people typically are interested in and 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 want to and want to talk about. Um, and I think the same thing is true here. Um, um, you know, you could say that, in a sense, the founders they 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 came up with an answer. The way you get a yeah. real picture. Yeah. Is by having multiple levels of description within this within the system, right? So there is a body, yes, one person, one vote, right? And then there's another body that looks at this more, let's call it impressionistically, right? Yeah. Um, um, and then there's another, you know, and then there's an institution that we use for selecting presidents that kind of balances the two, right? Um, and that if you put them all together, you get a pretty damn good picture, right? Um, That's interesting. Any, That's good. Yeah. Any one of them, right. though. Right. Has, has problems either this way or the other. Um, you know, if you think about it, the number of people in LA County, I mean, it's a staggering number of people. And it's probably more, more people than four states surrounding me. Yeah. Four states surrounding me. Now, if you were actually to do it the way that people who claim they want it to be done, one person, one vote, these parts of the countries would literally be politically invisible, completely yes. politically invisible. Yes. And there are the parts of the country where almost all the farming is done, yes. where all the food production comes. I mean, there's, of course, California, which complicates it. But, if, you know, you go to the rural parts of California, you might as well be in Missouri. Yeah. Nothing like L.A. County, I'll tell you that. Right. Yeah, no, I know. Um, 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 uh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm well, gonna... I mean, and one thing, like, just to come up, I mean, maybe a little down to earth, like, I mean, the, the, the basic problem with democracy, a basic problem with democracy is what happens to minorities. You know, so, I mean, that this is a case of that, if we want to think of it that way. Uh, you know, in other words, the population is skewing ever more urban. So the rural area is ever more uh, a minority group. And if you go one person, one vote, their lab will get crushed. Um, and maybe that's good if you think they're ignorant, racist, you know, uh, whatever. But um, it's not quite fair to them, perhaps. I mean, I mean uh, like a, a way maybe to see this from the other side is you could end up with a situation where you have no black people in Congress, Right? Because each congressional district is majority white, 
you go one person, one vote. Uh, and then you just, and then actually the representative body doesn't look like the population at all when you're done. It looks like the majority group or the dominant group. Yeah, you've never, yeah, it's interesting. Nobody thinks about what this would mean if you really actually carried it out to its logical conclusion. That is, if you really mean that all political representation should simply reflect the numer- individual, num- individual numerical values, right? Um, uh, and asked, okay, then what would the representation look like when you were done? Uh, right. There'd be no black people in it. There there might be no, there'd certainly be no Muslims in it. There'd be no Jews in it. There'd be no, in other words, you, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't get, and some of these tiny right. populations have had an outsized effect on the culture. I mean, yes. I mean, the effect of, 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 of black people on American culture, uh, is gigantic. Um, pretty much all popular music, right? Yeah. Um, um, relative exactly. to their numbers. And yet politically, if you were to try to represent it in this atomistic way, they would vanish, right? And I think maybe maybe what we're revealing here is one of the really pernicious things about this lumping together of people under. Co- I mean, what does it really mean to talk about white people when those include hipsters in Brooklyn <laughs> and and uh, Christian coalition members in rural Kansas, right? Yeah. What does that mean? I mean, they have nothing in common, right? <laughs> um, they fucking hate each other, right? <laughs> um, 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 you know, well, you could say, I mean, I, I, I don't totally reject this. I mean, you know, they both benefit from the racial hierarchy in some way, perhaps, right? Like there, there's white privilege in both locations, perhaps. It's functioning very differently. It's a, it's a funny kind of white privilege happening in Appalachia, man. They don't yeah, seem to be doing is. so. They don't seem to be doing so great. I mean, I, I, yeah, I gotta exactly. tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of, I've had it with privilege talk. Um, as far as I'm concerned, privilege is only a coherent, useful notion at the level of individuals. I don't get this group. You know, what I, I don't believe that some coal miner in Appalachia is privileged relative to Oprah Winfrey in any regard, <laughs> not a single one, not a single one. Um, um, and, and, or to a high powered black attorney in New York yeah. or to a corporate, a black corporate CEO or who might own the company that's fucking the whole region. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Right. In other words, I, I really, it's unlikely though. I dislike, I dislike, all right, I, I talk. Um, I guess I look. I think that this is is quite complicated. It, it's definitely true that if you're coming out to West Virginia or whatever, there's people uh, are you know, you're, in any meaningful sense. I mean, you're you're like in an opioid hell in West Virginia, and you're telling people to check their privilege or something like that. You've lost your mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, there, there, there are a few less privileged people in the country. Yeah. Okay. Now, on the other hand, though. I actually do take the, the white privilege concept pretty seriously. I, I mean, I, I think, like, in other words, you, you know, it's hard to say with regard to each person how much they benefit from a racial hierarchy, say, where historically a lot of the, uh, you know, the tasks that people don't want to do are done by a racial minority group or a situation in which you're not competing with members of various groups uh, like for educational attainment, for example, or you see what I mean? Like, I mean, I think 
like I've had a struggle in my little professional life, but I also think that I probably have benefited from racial privilege in a variety of ways. Like even just, you know, growing up in a lily white enclave of a mostly black city uh, with kind of all kinds of resources that, you know, compared to a lot of people that I could call on. I mean, not that I came from a rich family or something. My parents were school teachers, but. Um, well, look, I don't deny that individuals are privileged in various respects. And I don't even deny that in some of the cases they may be privileged with respect in a way that has a, has a racial valence. My point just is, is that people may be privileged or disadvantaged in literally dozens of ways individually. Sure. And in many of those cases, the racial sense in which they are privileged racially is so insignificant yes. and meaningless that invoking it only yes. serves to kind of Mar- to sort of shut 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 up a certain sort of conversation you're trying to have, a difficult one. Yes, but you're trying to mark the structural problem. It's not just, you know, and and you're also trying to sort of like get out of the the sort of exception mode where you're going like, yeah, yeah, I mean, Oprah Winfrey, who is more privileged than Oprah Winfrey? Not many people, okay. But still we have a structural racial hierarchy in which overall – White people are benefiting economically in ways that black people aren't and things like that. You know, I mean, I, well, that's I, true, I, but, but, but that doesn't really translate into any sort of particular conversation that you're trying to have about any sort of, uh, sort of particular issue. It seems to me. I mean, look, I don't, have to go, I don't have to go as far as Oprah Winfrey. We had the spectacle just a few years ago of a bunch of students at Yale, minority students at Yale screaming about about privilege, and I'm sorry, I don't think that an Apple, a, a white guy from a rural area that's been industrially devastated, is privileged relative to any of those Yale students either, right? I mean, I mean, you know, I, I'm not disagreeing that you can. I'm sorry if, you, if you're a student at Yale, you are in the elite of the elite. You are not. Yeah. Oppre- you're not oppressed. You're just not. Okay. You, you are. You are. You are in the nexus that is the direct corridor. To power in this country. Right? Okay, but you're also not necessarily immune from uh, structural racism in this society in a wide variety of ways, right? And you might find abstract that abstract sense, yes, but I don't think in a con- in, in a specific sense. If you if you take their two lives, Mr. Coal Miner or whoever, and 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 Ms. and Ms. Uh, 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 racial activist at Yale. I'm I sorry. I just don't think you're going to find too many points in which the former is privileged relative to the latter. I mean, you, well, you can might. come up with some abstract idea or some hypothetical right. case. Right. Um, but, well, say they both get embroiled in the criminal justice system, for example. Now, actually, rednecks don't do that well in the criminal justice no, system. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to be in a jail in, 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 in my neck of the woods, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, and rednecks get profiled, too, I have to say. Like, in other words, you look like a rough and ready, like, you might get treated like driving while black if you're, like, in a, in right. a you're in, you know, like. Your, your, like, your like, shambled truck with your your truck nuts hanging underneath. Yeah. Exactly. Which I'm sad to now say that living here has now made me know what that means. <laughs> I couldn't even believe. Congratulations. Thing. <laughs> so, the um, trucks have balls out there, baby. But let's get, now, here's the, I don't want to, this is a, a little bit of a diversion, and, and yeah. I actually like the fact that we disagree about this, because it seems like we usually agree on most things, but um, the reason I brought it up was because of what you had said, that you could view the people in the rural areas as a minority. Yeah. And then this question about the numerical, atomistic notion yes. of representation. 
um, the argument, the logic that then applies to having the rural people vanish from the political class, you know, from the political representation, the same logic would mean that yes. the black people would vanish, the Muslims yes. would vanish, the Jews would vanish. In other words, it, the atomistic logic gets you to the same place, it seems to me. Yeah, it's funny. I'm thinking I'm more hostile to the one person, one vote than I was when I started talking because I, I, I started with the presumption that that would be the right. But now we are revealing some of the obvious problems, I suppose, and some of the non-obvious problems as well. I mean, actually, I do, I do think that rural people, whatever that means, really, or if we want to go with, um, you know, this is, this is what they call themselves in country songs. So let's try a hillbilly, white trash, redneck, that type of stuff. Okay. Are we allowed to call them that? I mean, because that's, I'd say about half the time in my days here, I, I feel like yelling that at somebody. Uh, <laughs> are we allowed to call people that? Well, if you listen to a country station, you'll hear the country artists saying that about themselves and each other, like redneck pride, okay? Oh, yeah. They finally turn this thing around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, like the, one of my favorite country songs, Buy Me a Boat by Chris Jansen. It's, it starts out, they call me redneck, white trash, and blue collar. Okay? I could change all that if I had about a million dollars. Um, but, okay, but that, this group, it's a group of white people. I think they have a lot of the problems that you have with racial minorities, right? They're stereotyped. Uh, they're disadvantaged in a number of respects. A lot of the same economic social. I mean, I always thought that a not, that, that, Rural whites and inner city minorities should be a natural constituency. It seems to me completely. They have almost yeah. the same problems. Uh, yeah, other very than, much. Other so. than the racial element, but they hate each other. Family though. disintegration, drug abuse, yeah. social yeah. function, economic right. devastation. Yes, or like yeah, exactly. Like say, for example, where are the worst schools in America? Probably inner cities. And, rural. and very rural areas, you know, like it's have a lot of the same kind of social problems and a lot of the same kind of attitudes, you know, prejudicial attitudes toward them or, and also like uh, problematic depictions in the media and all this. Like, I mean, one thing that was really pretty funny continuously was during the election and since too, sending reporters out on expeditions from New York or Boston to, like, Trump country. Okay? Like, they're like, going to the savannah yeah, look at the antelopes yeah. running away from the lions or something. Right? Yeah, and sometimes they started like that. Like, like you're riding the Atlantic. Like, I was scared. I was driving into into Oklahoma. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, this, you know, like, these strange ape-like creatures surrounding <laughs> me and stuff like that. So I asked one, like, why would you vote for that idiot? And, you know, he said, blah, 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 which struck me as X, Y, Z. You're going like, wow, they, re we really are pretty separate. And we really are thinking of rural people as this kind of almost different species or whatever. Like, and so, yeah. And I think that a lot of rural folks feel that prejudice. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's why they feel maybe that's part of why they feel excluded from the culture in various ways. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I wonder, do you wonder, do you think that maybe the, the reason it's gotten so hostile now is because of the ubiquity of, 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 of communications. In other words, I'm wondering, you know, look, this, this divide has always been the case. Of course, it got worsened with the deindustrialization and other, and the, you know, the corporatization of the agriculture and all that. But, yeah. but it's always been the case. But what's new is, 
is that any person in a rural area, all they have to do is turn on a device and they're just going to hear people saying this shit about them over, and over and over again. They're going to see them. Rep- they're going to see themselves represented this way over and over True. and over again, and and vice versa. I mean, you know, all the urban folks are going to hear the the rural people saying the things they say and doing the things they do. And I'm wondering whether it's the communications that have that are reason why this is so hostile because it, it, this has always been the case, right? I mean, I mean, uh, this divide for the most part. Yeah, and it is interesting to think about why it seems worse right now. I mean, I guess I'm thinking it must be – I want to think it's maybe more demographic shifts of some kind, but I'm having a little trouble putting my finger on that. But, yeah, I do think that – but I don't know if, if it's more the case now than it was 40 years ago or something that, you know, there's kind of an urban domination of the media or something that if you turn on the TV or you go to a movie, you'll see – you, you won't see your world if you're rural or you'll see it as interpreted by people who don't really understand it or aren't inside it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, but I mean, and, and you can definitely hear what people are saying. I don't know, how, you know, who's on which social media platform or whatever, but you know, it's, uh, I'm not sure what, what accounts for the particular conflict, the shape of the conflict we're in right now. I guess some people would like say it's, well, the, the basic sort of liberal account of this is like it's a last gasp white supremacist effort. You know what I mean? Like it's a we we're sitting here, we're losing our culture, and it, you know, like this feeling like it's all we're losing everything we had, and the way that gets interpreted is we're losing white privilege or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know that we can't stand the demographic shifts where that means you know, more minority groups or something. And that's really, and the backlash is what explains Trump or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I, I don't dismiss that as being in there or something, but I don't think that that adequately, wait, for one thing, I don't think it adequately captures the attitudes of these rural, uh, rural folks. Okay. Like you do run into racism and you do run into this idea that we're kind of getting swamped by immigration and that, America's over, like we understood it. But I think there's a lot more going on than that. You know, I mean, that's in there somewhere. But on the same, by the same token, like where I live, um, you know, it's getting to be half Latino due to the agricultural economy. All right. Right. And actually, that seems to be going fairly okay. I mean, not that there haven't been any incidents or somebody rolling around with a Confederate flag throwing the finger at somebody or whatever it is. Um, but, and, and, but I also suspect that if you have a couple generations of rural Latinos in Pennsylvania and it's getting there already, their interests uh, are going to start aligning. Yeah, words, uh, uh, they already do. I mean, like, you know, like you start talking to folks and this is a pretty conservative group of, of Latino, of Mexicans really who have settled, uh, and are raising their kids in central Pennsylvania. And yeah, they have pretty straightforward rural values as you might understand them, you know, family, church, hard work, you know, kind of conservative on various dimensions, but not on immigration. And probably pretty populist on regard to international trade deals and, and, and. I haven't really talked to folks about that too much. But you know what I mean? I mean, in other words, I mean, this, this gets back to the point that we were discussing before, and that is that, geography sort of is significant in a representational sense, yes. right? Because 
the attitudes and the local culture of the people that you're supposed to be representing are not accidentally related to the area, right? Right. Um, the region and its geography and its topography and what sort of economy it is as a result yes. of that geography and topography. And to ignore all of that and to go down to the atomistic micro level, you're just going to lose all of that because you're just going to focus on where all these dots are the most clustered and that's going to be LA County, New York Metro and a few other areas. And the rest of it's just going to look empty. Right. Right. And if you're comfortable with that, I mean, if you're sitting in LA, if you're sitting in New York and you have these liberal values and you're, you know, you're tapping on your laptop at the coffee shop in Brooklyn or whatever, um, you know, <laughs> right. I, I lost that thought actually. No, no, but you, you're saying that, look, some people might be perfectly happy with that. Fine. Let these people fucking right. disappear. Well, right. Yeah, well, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, okay. So yeah. So you're just going like, it's self evident that these people should transform in our direction or whatever. Like, I don't even know what they're doing. They're historically, they're, they're, they're anachronistic. Like they, and they're going to be superseded. And it's just self-evident that those values shouldn't be represented because they're bad values, right? Right, right. Um, and they're not future-oriented values because the demographics are shifting and we're going to be majority-minority and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so, I mean... But, but you see, that, but that's what I... But then, you know, just, like, you right. are arguing for erasure. First of all, I think it should be clear that that is what people want, right? And that they want, first, to, to admit that there is an erasure that comes with this purely atomistic approach to political representation. There is an erasure that comes. Um, and B, that, that they're happy about it. And I think just having people explicitly acknowledge that would already be useful yes. because it would, it would make the discussion a lot more honest and the stakes would be a lot clearer. Um, it seems so obvious that that's, that's how people feel. I mean, it's just when right. you talk to people, it's just, it's palpable, man. Like, but you, you just, you, yeah, and, and it also sort of puts pressure on them because, look, what you just said about Latinos moving to the rural Midwest, um, so what's going to happen is they're going to disappear too because they are going to adopt the, the, the culture, the interests, the, 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 the they're going to be. To some extent, they will. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 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 and so, you know, they have to add, Oh, and by the way, if you're if you're one of these minorities that we claim to care so much about, and you happen to move to one of these places, and start happen. to care start to care about the local economy and the local uh, social well being and everything, guess what? You're going to fucking disappear too, right? Um, um, and right. I, I suspect that they'll be more hesitant to do that. <laughs> um, but I would argue that it, even forget about another region. If you really meant this atomistic approach the way that it's described, right? Then those minorities should disappear across the board. It's, they should disappear from the areas that wind up staying represented, right? So in New York Metro or in L.A. County, African-Americans are still going to be a, 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 a relatively small uh, proportion of the overall population, right, other than in very specific areas, right? So now is the South Bronx going to disappear, right, from your political calculation, right? So when people come and campaign, they can just go to the places where the bulk of the people are and where, and you know, in, in other words, I don't see how this doesn't become an anti-minority position, period, right? Right, although, you know, it does run the other way in terms of practical electoral politics, say, in New York, in the sense that 
you're not going to win citywide unless you can assemble some kind of coalition of these groups, right? So in other words, it's not that New York is 80% white and 5% black or something like that, right? And so you could just, you could just win with the white vote in New right. York. I'm not sure you can actually. Right, but even city, saying citywide is giving a credibility to a level of representation above the atomistic individual, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm sa- you know what I'm saying? In other words, what do you right. mean citywide? Let's just take atomistic one person, one vote. All right. What's the, what's the most votes? And the most votes are going to be people of a certain, uh, non minority, uh, cast, um, that are clustered in major metro areas, right? I mean, that's, that's what it's going to turn out to be, isn't it? Well, these might end up being majority-minority metro areas, right, pretty quick even, which is kind of interesting. So it's going to be complex. But, I mean, one thing to think about is, okay, if we're thinking in this way, like there's millions of problems, one person, one vote, you know, in various ways that groups and places are getting erased and stuff, and that if we go in that direction, how could we design a better, like what, what would a – I get stuck on this. I mean, you know, but like, what would a so? What's wrong with the system? Okay, so yeah, let's not let's stop talking about the people who are against the electoral college for a minute. Let's let's assume that we agree that we need we need more than the the than the atomistic level of description to get a good political representative representation as a picture. Yes. Um, what do you think is wrong with the way it's structured now? Because the way it's structured now does attempt to do that, right? Yeah, and it probably does that better than a national one-person, one-vote system would do, I suppose. Right, but, I so, mean, but is there dissatisfactions you have? Do you think it doesn't do it enough? Do you think it does it too much? Um, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really thought it through in these terms, right? Uh, you know, but I mean, okay, so I mean, how many black members of the Senate are there? How many black governors have there ever been, let's say? I mean, like a lot of the same problems. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can think of one, let's see, just a few, just a handful, maybe. Um, and, and a few, maybe more chances this time around. But, you know, so these problems, I mean, I wouldn't say the United States Senate is a very good representation of the nation as a whole, really, or, I thought in your piece, you know, you thought, I thought in your piece that you did say that in some senses it's a more accurate yeah. picture of the country yes. than the Congress is. I, yes, I did say that. Uh, you know, sort of geographically or whatever, I was playing with that idea. Um, but there's, you know, if we wanted to improve the situation we have now in terms of being an accurate representation, I mean, surely it's not. You can't have a perfect representation. I don't even know what that would mean. Like, like you're saying, you'd have to, you have to have many different dimensions and not, and you couldn't integrate them into one process or something like that. Right. But if we're thinking this way and thinking sort of beyond one person, one vote, you know, how, and, and we don't want to just think maybe in terms of states' rights, because now we're focusing on different groups and subcultures and, you know, even towns or something like that. Like, how, I don't, I'm not sure how you, create a system that does better by way of representing all of that or is fairer to the different parts of that or something. But maybe, maybe we are closer than, maybe we are closer than we would be 
with a raw one person, one vote. But see, I'm still trying to figure out why I would oppose that exactly. It sure sounds. <sighs> what the one person, one vote? Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't mean, seem to me like we're opposing it. No one, I don't, I don't know anyone who suggested to get rid of the popular vote or to get rid of the Congress, right? I mean, right. I thought that the point is more that it's not enough, right? Um, I mean, can that, a re- should a region vote? Should a race vote? No, so here's what I'm wondering is I'm wondering whether part of the problem is that we're tied to the original idea of the states in a confederation. And if at this point we'd be better off dissolving the states and creating regions instead. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out. I have not thought it through for one second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm wondering almost whether there would be a little less resentment if it wasn't Wyoming getting all of this attention. <laughs> but a region that include Wyoming but also includes, you know, um, you know uh, uh, Minnesota or Kansas or uh, Iowa or Oklahoma, that you really get a sense of, okay, this region – this is where like two thirds of the food is comes from, right? This region, this is where this happens and that happens. And then yeah. this region is where all the banking happens and where the government is. And this region is where the entertainment industry is. You know, in other words, in other words, I'm wondering whether part of the problem is we're, we're bound to the original states concept. Um, right. I mean, it, that is kind of a historical accident, you know? Um, and some of these states kind of have an identity and things, uh, but some don't really, you know, like, I don't know how important it is to be a Marylander. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or well, we're going to get angry. We're going to get angry remarks for that. For, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but it's not like being a Texan, right? Which is like a, I, almost like a national identity, but yeah. being Maryland is just kind of like, well, isn't yeah, there some weird thing about Texas? It's like a separate country or something. Yeah. Isn't there some weird yeah. legal thing where they're, <laughs> Oh, there is some kind of sovereignty thing, right? Like so in the Constitution or something? Uh, yeah, I don't remember it exactly, but um, yeah. well, this is interesting stuff. Um, are you actually working more on this? It sounds to me like you're kind of like your your mind is really jumping around, on, like you're interested in this. Is this something yeah. you're working on now? All right, I did. There is a chapter of, of my book, Political Aesthetics, that's basically on the concept of political representation. It's it's it's. And it, and it does go to the founding period, actually. It doesn't try to do much with the contemporary world. And I'm suddenly realizing as we talk and stuff that there is a lot, lot more to think about on this. And, and practical questions arise that I didn't even try to address there. And that I am confused about the relation of political representation. Um, I mean, in a way, you can't really have politics without forms of representation. Right. You know, uh, maybe all politics is representational in some At sense. some level because it involves governing people. Right. And it involves kind of like figurehead, symbolic leaders and like sort of like, uh, you know, so um, it's, it's, yeah, like your leadership is a way of representing the nation, but then the flag is a representation. The, you know, in other words, like politics is a fundamentally representational activity. And I, and I thought I was starting to think that out of the arts, like, because that's where the representation, that's where representation has been an issue. And, you know, it's been a philosophical discussion. Which is, it's really original, Crispin, and it's really interesting. I, I have to think that this is unique to you. I, I can't think of anybody else that's thought of it in this way. Is, is there anybody else who's thought about political yeah. representation in light of representation yeah. and aesthetics? 
There had yes, I'm trying to remember the name of the person that I really got this from. Actually, is it in the uh, book? Is it cited in the book? Yes, definitely. Okay, we're going to put a link to the book up. Yeah, uh, I'm just blanking on the guy. If you can think of it later, send it yeah. to me, and I'll put it in the in the link section. Oh, I certainly will. Um, but I uh, love this I, idea. I, I, what is it to be a good picture of something? What is right, what exactly. makes a picture a good picture of something? Right, and um, Spence has been worried about that for thousands of years. Actually. Is it literal fidelity? Is it is right. it a kind of impressionistic fidelity? Is it a kind of and that that or is it kind of, idealizing is yeah. idealizing thing, or does the representation create the reality? Because that's like that's also a view in aesthetics. Like maybe Heidegger has a view like that, or somebody you know. Or even E.H. Gombrick to some extent or something like that. Like it's an articulatory activity. You're not just reflecting yeah. or idealizing what's there. You're changing what's there. Or even even Don, Danto, who we had a whole dialogue on, um, yeah. is that representation actually creates, makes something. It doesn't, it doesn't just depict something. It actually makes something. Um, right. Um, uh, or maybe it makes the world. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe – our experience is representational and changing the representations changes the world. Well, that's, what good, that's what Goodman thinks, right? In ways of yes. world making. That's essentially what Goodman exactly. says in ways of world making. Right? Exactly. Yes. Right. Representation is way of making, not reflecting the world. And I guess yeah. it's a sort of a, a very deeply Kantian idea to a yes. certain extent, right? I mean, um, precisely. Uh, yes. But, and then if you start thinking of all that work on representation and all that thought on representation, you start to think about it in relation to the relation of political representation. It's an incredibly rich terrain. I would love to write and think about this, but I need another like five years to to do so because man, I, it's it, it strikes me just as an incredibly complex uh, deal. So this essay was a one-off. It's not part of an, an ongoing sort of research program you've got no. going on. No, I haven't. I haven't launched on it yet. Anyway, now. I, I thought of it as a one-off or just like a speculation. I thought I might return to that idea of representing geography as well as. Uh, persons or something like that. Do you talk about that in the book? This point about geography uh, as opposed to persons? I don't think I do. As I'm recalling. Yeah. 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 So it's just, some, it's just one of these things that suddenly occurred to me in this discussion of the Trump election. And yeah, but I, I, I haven't done much. I, I need to really think into it, I guess. Yeah, no, it's really, I, I'm very interested in this too. If you ever want to do something together, um, Wow, um, I might co- I, I'd be very up for co-writing a piece or something, um, either, academic, either academic or non. But I, yeah, I find yeah. this really fascinating, and I think All right. the example from representation in art is actually really useful. And um, I could see getting a lot of mileage out of it in political philosophy and doing something that's pretty original, yeah. even though, as you said, somebody else apparently has gone there. Um, yeah. But um, well, there's some work along these lines, huh? There's some work along these lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll have to, if you can think of it, send it to me and I'll put it in the links. Um, as always, uh, talking to you is, uh, tremendously enjoyable. Um, likewise, man. And I really appreciate your time, uh, and your wisdom and your, your very interesting and original mind. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. All right. So good luck with the rest of the semester. You and, too. Um, uh, of course, send me any link, any and every link you can think of that's relevant, and okay. uh, we'll see you soon. All right. See you, Dan. Take care, my friend. Peace. Before you go, a quick message from the suits at Meaning of Life TV. Meaning of Life will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. 
If you enjoy Meaning of Life programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.